and welcome to Voices of Nexus, where experts discuss and debate issues surrounding mental health. Here in the U.S., it is a sad but common observation that our mental health system is broken. People who need help often can't or don't know how to get it, and resources remain underutilized due to stigma or lack of awareness. Many experience crisis before any intervention. Given the added pressures we face today, these faults are doubly exposed. But there are bright spots. There are visionaries working tirelessly to create a better tomorrow and move us from hopeless to hopeful. Here on Voices of Nexus, we will learn about good progress being made as it relates to the mental health of women, youth, and those in the justice system. This podcast is part of the larger Nexus initiative, sponsored by Otsuka America Pharmaceutical Inc. Please check us out at www.nexusmentalhealth.com. That's www.nexusmentalhealth.com. Or look us up on Facebook. Hello, everyone. My name is Eli Perez, and I'm the Director of Patient Advocacy and Stakeholder Management at Otsuka America Pharmaceutical. Today on Voices of Nexus, we're talking about youth mental health and how conventional ways of thinking about mental health are not meeting the needs of children and adolescents. Youth thrive with structure, and moving schools, graduating, or disruption at home can foment a wide range of emotional, behavioral, and mental health concerns. And I think we're seeing all that now uh, as we live through the COVID pandemic. At the same time, many young people are constantly surrounded by adults that have the potential to positively influence their mental health journey. This community of adults can include parents, siblings, teachers, coaches, and school counselors. To help identify, prevent, and treat mental health issues in young people, those stakeholders need to be equipped with the right resources and information to provide support. And importantly, youth need to have opportunities to share their perspectives on what works and what doesn't. Today, we're going to talk about the conventional approach to identifying and addressing the mental health needs of youth and why there is a case for change. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce my guests for today's conversation. First, we have Rakesh Jain, a well-known and highly insightful, inspirational psychiatrist. Good afternoon, Rakesh. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'll be delighted to, Eli. It's so nice to be with you and so nice to connect with my colleagues no matter where they might be on this lovely planet. My name is Rakesh Jain, as Eli said. I am a psychiatrist. I'm also a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I, just like perhaps every other psychiatrist, kind of do a bunch of different things. I'm in academic medicine. I also have a private practice. I do my very best to help people of all ages, and obviously, Eli, definitely our youth, who I am kind of worried about. I, in additionally, am part of the Psych Congress in terms of educating my colleagues. So delighted to be with you. It's fantastic to have you. Thank you. Our second guest is Leon Zeitz. He's the Director of Youth Engagement and Advocacy at Cities Rise. Good afternoon, Leon. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Eli. It's a pleasure to be here. I come to the world of mental health from my own lived experience, and at Cities Rise, I work with young people across the world to deploy and innovate around community-based mental health programming with a specific focus on how do we actively engage young people in the design, delivery, evaluation of programs that are aimed to support them. 
I also serve on a number of United Nations and World Health Organization councils as a youth representative with a focus on mental health. And on my free time, I generally focus on healing informed approaches to community development and disrupting legacies of trauma. And so really a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, Lee, and thank you for joining us. And given your backgrounds, gentlemen, I think we're going to have a great conversation today. So let's jump into it. First, I'd like to throw a question over to you, Rakesh. Increasingly, younger generations have a very different view of mental health than older generations. We've heard quite a bit about how they seem to be more open and willing to talk about their mental health needs. What is your reaction to this as a healthcare professional? Um, And how should psychiatry adapt? First of all, what a dramatically positive change that is compared to when I was growing up. So I'm in my late 50s and mental health in youth was simply not discussed, either by the youth amongst themselves or by adults. And I am just so thrilled. Just meeting people like Leanne and his contemporaries, it is just amazing to me that they see their mental health as a human right. And so I, for one, representing traditional psychiatry, am extremely enthused by it. And the main reason for that perhaps is the more invested you are in your own mental health, the greater change you demand, the more invested you are in being well, the greater energy you bring to the table, Eli. So it's a wonderful move. Psychiatry does need to adapt to it, though. The traditional model has been, I, the wise healer, and thou, patient, shall wait for me to tell you what to do. That relationship, thankfully, has shifted. Now it is much more a collaborative relationship. The youth now understand the basic principles of mental illness and mental wellness at a level I haven't seen before. And I, for one, am incredibly pleased with that change. Thank you for that, Rakesh. Um, Leanna, I'll kick it over to you. What have you seen with regards to this environment of youth being more open and willing to talk about their mental health needs? I do feel the moment to echo, I think, Rakesh's sentiments and also to know that, you know, a lot of the state of affairs of young people today is due to kind of visionary leaders in the sector going through a radical shift in mindset about what it means to actually deliver mental health care to people. And I think what young people have really seen is that the old guard of mental health being a solely health system issue rather than a social and environmental issue has really allowed them to break open the head about how they engage with mental health in their daily lives rather than solely thinking that it has to do with a moment where you need to go see a psychiatrist. And the other thing that I think has really happened amongst young people is that particularly because of our interconnected world and the role of digital technology, and also I think the way that social issues have progressed, young people understand intersectionality much better than their adult counterparts, from my experience. And what I generally mean by that is young people can easily and seamlessly navigate the relationship between, say, poverty and mental health, between racism and mental health, between the issues of queer and LGBTQI communities and mental health. And so all of these delicate intersections of how mental health manifests and relates to aspects of society, 
I think young people have a really good grasp on because that's how they view the world. And I think that's opened up a lot of doors. And, you know, I, and I'm looking forward to that continuing in the future as we know that the issue is far from, you know, where it needs to be. Leanne, I just loved what you said. I did. And let me articulate why I think what your sentiments are really need to be heard loud and clear by every generation. So the first point is human rights include mental health rights. That is a statement that requires some deep thought from us. And the second thing is medicalization of mental well-being, I think, has been to the detriment of the youth. I agree with that. I think it ought to be a personal responsibility, societal responsibility. Technologies can really assist us in that manner. There are simply not enough psychiatrists. We do need them. We do need them because there are youth that clearly need more help than perhaps societal interventions. But this approach of primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention is going to lead to the betterment of the youth. And let's be honest, the youth are really hurting. The rates of depression, for example, in the youth have climbed quite significantly, and rates of depression also have. So this radically new way of looking at it that you are proposing and Cities Rise are proposing, I find that very attractive. I couldn't agree with uh, both of you more. Uh, I can tell you in some of the work that we've done with MHA, MHA runs a fantastic program for screening. And what they've seen in the data from their organization is that youth are tapping into their screeners probably more than any other population. And so it really speaks to the need, uh, the mental health needs uh, of youth. And so happy to hear uh, what both of you had to share there. And great that we're moving in a direction where folks are much more open to talk about their mental health uh, concerns, their mental health needs, and kind of staying in that realm of, of sharing. Leon, you have a great story of recovery and just wondering if you could share that story and what your own experience has taught you about the mental health care system as it stands today. Thanks so much, Eli. And I always find it, you know, a part of my own healing journey to be able to share my story and in the hopes that it creates a safe space for others to do the same. And my mental health journey really started when I was making that transition that so many young people go through from middle school into high school. And at the time, I didn't really realize what was going on, but I studied, I started to dramatically struggle with school, memorization, repetition, the work overload, and I just wasn't getting it. I was seeing that my peers were completing assignments easier than I was, and I really started to believe like I was deficient or dumb. And then I soon learned that I had a learning difference where I had dyslexia that was influencing the way I learned. But at that moment, it was actually kind of my world crashing. And so I, right as I entered into ninth grade, I crashed and I then went through series of depression and different forms of anxiety and drug use and spent the rest of my high school experience in and out of different forms of therapeutic treatment programs. And I think what's important to note is that one, you know, I come from a privileged position in the world where I had the option to seek private support. Many young people in that situation either go into different forms of juvenile justice or get no help at all. And then in that system that I experienced, 
I had to go through such a trial and error of finding things that work. And never once was I asked, how is this working for you? What do you think we could be doing? Do you have any ideas about how you could be involved in your own treatment or care? And, you know, I feel blessed that to have a supportive family system to help me out of that and to have gained real coping and growth skills to move on. But what, ultim- what I ultimately realized was that the system is not working for young people, particularly young people from marginalized backgrounds, from lower resource settings, and those who don't have that possibility of options. And I also realized that, you know, healing is a lifelong journey. And there was a lot of effort to try to fix me, that I would go through a treatment program and I would come out fixed. And I really learned that, you know, we really need to shift that narrative in terms of mental health being a continuum that you experience throughout your life, but also that the system as it's created really creates a lot of pressure on young people to go through healing in a matter of two months for things that take a lifetime to deal with. And so that was really my experience. And from that, you know, I've been an advocate for youth-informed approaches in mental health programming and just for structures that allow young people to be listened to and heard, because my experience was largely the opposite of that. Thank you for that, Lee, and appreciate that story that you just shared with us and, and so many points that you've made really resonate with some of the work that we're doing as a Nexus Collaborative. We've heard this input and we know that we need to continue to provide a platform for youth to share this feedback with groups who are thinking about mental health care because really you have to get that frontline real-world experience in order to ensure that you're delivering support and resources that really have a chance to make a difference and resonate with these individuals. You know, Rakesh, I want to come back to you kind of staying on this topic in terms of preparing youth or equipping youth with the tools that they need to care for themselves. You've said before that when young people leave their parents' homes, obviously, Leon spoke to that transition from middle school to high school, but we've also talked a lot about that transition from high school to perhaps college or perhaps going out on your own for the first time when your decisions, which were made for you previously, perhaps by your parents, you now have to take on that responsibility and be able to make those decisions. And so we've talked about the mental health literacy of youth. As an expert in the field of psychiatry, Rakesh, what are some observations you've made regarding the mental health care literacy of youth? What developments are you excited to see? Maybe things moving in the right direction, or do we have to really address this head on? Yeah, great point, Eli. And I definitely would love to address that. But let me first fully acknowledge the complexity of being youth in modern day America, modern day world that Leanne just talked about. These are the best of times. These are the worst of times for the youth. There's huge challenges. There's huge opportunities. It's as I said before, best of times and worst of times. The best of times is the health literacy, which you alluded to, Eli, is at a level I did not think would happen in my lifetime. I grew up in India, where I can't tell you how often as a medical student, I would go to a unit in our academic hospital that was the burn unit. And I would say about half the people in the burn unit were actually youth who had poured gasoline on themselves in order to attempt suicide or had a fight with a family member, or with a close friend, or 
a loved one. What we did for them was we changed their bandages. We did not talk to them much about their mental health other than to shake our heads at them in disapproval. Eli, this was back in the 70s. This was in the 80s. And that stands as a real reminder of when we don't address youth mental health the right way. There are great consequences to it. Now, let's fast forward to 2020. And now, when I admit such individuals to a hospital or recommend they come into some kind of treatment, or this happens often, my friends reach out to me and say, my 17-year-old, my 18-year-old, my 21-year-old is struggling. It's a very different, very different landscape. Usually, the individual and their parent know more about depression and anxiety than they used to before. They have access to the internet. They've accessed good resources, sometimes not so good, but very often they have. They are leveraging community resources, such as the one that Leanne represents. They are willing to be not ashamed. They are willing to seek help. And the credit has to go to health literacy. It has to go to the rise of mental health as an essential human need. So let me come directly to your point which is, what are some of the observations I've had about literacy? I think it's on two different realms. One is on disorders. I think the youth today are more aware of the dangers of disrupted mood or anxiety or sleep than they ever were before. But the other thing that I find hugely positive, they're now actively seeking empowerment, which is a positive psychological trait. They're now are actively seeking actualization, purpose, worth. They're also perhaps a little more patient than my profession is. My profession, like Leanne said, wants everything to be better in four to six weeks. We don't quite often have a long-term perspective of development. And let me close out this section by saying, I am finding the youth far more interested in things like meditation, such as exercise, They're willing to talk to me about sleep hygiene. They're wanting to talk to me about what is my optimized nutritional plan for good mental health. Where should I move? What kind of career should I choose? What should I do in my relationships that's good for my mental health and other people? These are all very positive changes, Eli, and I'm so glad to be able to report that to you from the front lines. Yeah, and if I could just quickly build off of what Rakesh said, I think I, I, you know, I share the positive progress made both from like an international context in which I work, where I see young people having more conversations around mental health than ever before. One of the kind of theoretical and also literacy shifts that I've seen, though, is a emphasis on deficits and deficiencies move to an emphasis on strengths and opportunities. And this is a massive, I think, shift when even a psychiatrist is working with a young person or working with a young person's parents. We now live in a society that's more open to the range of experiences and personalities and mental structures that a young person may be experiencing. Whereas previously, there was really a standardized protocol for what normal behavior and normal mind and a normal person should look like. 
And a lot of young people, I think, historically were tried to be fit into that box and have language and diagnostic criteria that works for them. And I think we're at a really nice renaissance in, in the sector where we don't need to take a solely deficiency-based approach. And we're really finding assets within individuals. And the mental health language is now moving from deficiency-based communication to asset-based communication. For instance, why is my experience of depression debilitating me? How did going through and experiencing depression make me a more understanding and empathetic person or able to be better in society? And so I think there's a big shift happening in the mental health community that is trickling down into the literacy of our mental health understanding. And, and I see that as really positive and it, it aligns very much with, I think, I think the progress Rakesh was communicating. So let me ask you both this question then. And Leon, you mentioned that as parents trying to support their, their young one, right? Their child, their son, daughter, obviously parents, siblings as well, uh, but teachers play an important role as frontline support for youth when it comes to identifying or addressing, you know, a mental health issue, you know, helping individuals potentially seek treatment. What kind of information or resources are needed to equip the adults, if you will, with the information they need so that they can provide the best version of that support that youth need? What have you seen out there? What's missing in terms of education or material or programs that uh, adults need? Thanks for that question. I think there's two things that I'd like to say here. One is that I can't stress enough how important the family system is or the holding system for any young person, because what they're experiencing is not happening in isolation from their core influences in their life. And so what I often, you know, want to communicate to parents or families is that when you're asking a young person to go through the work, what is the work that you're looking at that you need to do at the same time? And in the process, I've often found that when parents are doing equal amounts of healing and growth as their young person when going through it, that's critical. So I think that information that it takes work across the whole system and can't just be a burden placed on the young person is one thing that's really important. The second is that there is a lot of deep information out there. But what I tell people that they need to first for friends and families is to know their local landscape of mental health services and support. You can always go through the internet and read as much as you can. But the question I often ask is, do you know where to go right now if you're in crisis? Or do you have the list of the psychiatrists or therapists that you feel would work best with your child? And so I always feel that being armed with really locally relevant information of where mental health support is, is super critical to families and friends. It is. It is. You know, everything is at the microscopic level and the macroscopic level. And when it comes to youth mental health, Leanne, I'm in complete agreement with you. We have to take a big view and a small view, right? So societies, I do think, have a responsibility. So as nations, as policymakers, as people perhaps who are in positions of control and power in governmental and non-governmental systems, we have to keep youth mental health in sharp focus. They are, after all, our future. That's not a good slogan. That, by the way, is the complete honest-to-God truth. But having said that, if one doesn't narrow the focus down, if someone is in trouble in Bismarck, North Dakota, 
very little that I can offer from Austin, Texas is going to be helpful besides words of encouragement and support. That's why I think a network of knowledge, a network of connection is, is so exceptionally important. And Leanne, I want to reflect on something you said that is so important. And by the way, has percolated into my field as well, which is the concept of neurodiversity. Not being a negative, but being a positive. So the fact that we are different is a net strength for societies. The only caution I would offer that is goes without saying, obviously, is we need to make sure that we don't have inadvertently glorifying mental illness. There's nothing glorious about actual full-blown mental illness. But by the same token, we don't need to demonize it either. There's growth experience from even the worst of worst situations. And what we psychiatrists are trying to do is move our patients away from a disorder into a state of stability. But we try not to stop there, particularly with the youth who are so, in a positive way, malleable and motivated to change themselves, is to move them into arena of wellness, into arena of optimism, into an arena of resilience. And to do that, what we are finding is accepting the mental illness, yet setting the standard of it can be achieved, has allowed youth to kind of fully flourish and meet their own inner potential. Leon, would you like to add anything to Rakesh's comments? Only that, you know, I, I very much align and appreciate what Rakesh has just echoed, and particularly the point around not over-glorifying the real lived experience of suffering that so many people go through. And I think the way Rakesh articulated the multiple levels that change needs to happen is always, I think, critically important. One of the things that, you know, I, I think I just like to say is that I often enter into conversations with people and start having communication around mental health and talking about emergence and science and the new language people are using. And I often get this response like, wow, I've never heard mental health talked about that way. And so one of the things that I just want to echo is that I do see that there's such a rich amount of progress we've made. But as a societal level, the trickle down of that to young people and families, I don't want to claim victory yet. I just would say that we still have a long way to go. And so one of the first steps people could take is starting to arm themselves with the most recent information on how we talk about mental health today, what the emerging research is showing us, and maybe even some of these historical developments that maybe help us understand a bit better where stigma originally was derived from, why people have a unreasonable fear of psychiatrists that has really resisted people from getting help. When we actually know, you know, in the modern day form of psychiatry that, you know, they're valuable assets on family and community and systems teams to, to drive action. So I would want anybody who would be listening to just know that there's infinite places to start, but there, there's lots of, you know, I think graspable, easy information out there to just start getting the right information on how we talk about mental health. Thank you for that, Leon. I think that's a great way to bring this portion of our conversation to a close in that while there is great hope in how youth are embracing mental health and the understanding that they have mental health to care for and that they're unique individuals 
who should demand uh, that they be better taken care of. I think that's great, but we still have work to do, right? And and I really do appreciate you sharing that, Leon. Uh, before we close, just wondering, wanted to open it up to the two of you for any closing remarks. If there's anything that you weren't able to talk about today, any message that you would like to convey to our listeners. So Rakesh, can we start with you? I'd be happy to. First of all, I really appreciate the fact that you are conducting this podcast, Eli. I appreciate your personal desire to further the conversation. And I really think it's an inspired choice to hook up two completely different generations. Leanne and I are different generations, but we're united with one desire, which is to improve mental health in our youth. We have different approaches, yet we're demonstrating by just being on this call, that different approaches mean nothing as long as the goal is the very same. So that was wonderful. I really benefited from hearing from both of you. I will say this. Think just for a second. In fact, I would like for you to visualize holding a coin in your hand. doesn't matter what coin it is, but just imagine yourself holding a coin. Have you ever held a coin in your hand? that only has one side to it. When you flip it, don't you see the other side? And you flip it, you come back to the original side. Mental health is a two-sided coin. One side is mental illness. The other side is mental wellness. It's the same coin, mental health, but there are two completely different sides to it. And we have for far too long focused on mental illness. It's time to focus on mental wellness also, not just one or the other. I am concerned about the youth, and here are the specific reasons why I am. This pandemic has challenged them. Nearly everything they hold dear to their lives, socialization, exercise, achievement, being out, making their own personality, making a mark on the world, all has been at least temporarily shut down. But even before the pandemic arrived, I've been watching the literature evolve over the last several years, and youth mental health has actually not been rising. Suicide rates in that particular group have not been dropping. So it's good to have a conversation, but conversations are not enough, Eli. Action is important too. And therein lies the reason why Leon's and my words of advice, perhaps coming from different angles, are actually convergent. They are convergent. There is primary prevention, there is secondary prevention, there's tertiary prevention. The youth have a right to have great mental health. It is achievable. There are lots of people willing to help them. Health literacy is going up. There is a great silver lining to this challenge. And I only hope, based on the conversation we've had, we motivate both the youth and those involved in their care to do even more and offer even more services, even more targeted interventions, so that the future of our youth, which is our world's future, is not just preserved, but it flourishes. Thank you for that, Rakesh. Liam, any closing comments? 
Yeah, well, I feel really privileged and honored to be able to, you know, have this sort of conversation with someone like Ritesh and, and all of you. And so my expression of gratitude and thanks. From my perspective, I really believe that I would want people to know that I think we're in a mental health renaissance right now. And not all the answers exist, but there, we are in a bold time of rethinking maybe norms and strategies that weren't working previously and using the best of science and historical knowledge and community experience and people's lived experience to really drive a new and better way. So I think it is a hopeful future. The one thing I want to echo, though, is I don't think mental health should ever be understood outside of social, political and environmental issues that are still prevalent. And it's very important that we start to integrate our efforts to address mental health with efforts to address climate change, to address mass incarceration in the U.S., for example, and to address the many other social ails that are plaguing society. And I just firmly believe that mental health and a focus and investment in mental health is an opportunity to make massive gains in those areas in ways that we never could have imagined, because it has to do with creating healthy individuals, families, and communities ready to, you know, live healthy and fulfilling lives. And so I just, I really see as mental health as much more than the absence of disease, but an opportunity for society to go through healing and, and to be better and more sustainable. And so I just want all young people to know that, you know, their, their openness to the idea is what's supporting that change. And all the adult allies, thank you for creating the space for that all to be possible. So thank you. No, thank you, Leon, for all the work that you're doing. Rakesh, thank you for, you know, sharing your perspectives today and the work that you're doing. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules to have this conversation and completely agree that this is just a conversation. We have much work to do once we get back to our respective areas, but also work that we can do together and very much looking forward to collaborating with you both through the work we're doing with Nexus. So, Thank you again for your time. Really appreciate both of you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Voices of Nexus. Don't forget to check us out at www.nexusmentalhealth.com. That's www.nexusmentalhealth.com. Or look us up on Facebook.